I'd like for you to turn to the book of Hosea, Hosea's prophecy. Today we look at one of those themes as it has to do with the forgiveness of the sin that breaks God's heart. Now I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6, but you keep your Bible open there because we're going to follow that topic throughout uh, other verses of Scripture in Hosea. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, but He will heal us. He has wounded us, but He will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before Him. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. Verse 1 zeroes in on one of the dominant themes of Hosea, and that is this back and forth movement between the judgment of God and the grace of God, between the wrath of God and the mercy of God. And one of the most impressive things about the book of Hosea to me is, is that here is a people that are obviously um, under the judgment of God, bound God is bound to judge this nation, and yet He continually holds out in the darkness of this judgment a ray of hope. And it's obvious that it's God's desire to pour out His mercy and to love and to heal, and they won't let Him. And so what you have in chapter 6 is God wanting to bring revival, but chapter 7, they won't let Him. Look how he starts chapter 7. When I would heal Israel. When I would heal Israel. And it's obvious that the divine intent of God is to heal. But Israel is worse off than Israel thought. Sometimes we don't know how sick we are until we start trying to get well. We go to the hospital thinking I'm going there for a little minor surgery. Turns out to be a major disaster. And what God's desire is to heal Israel and to save Israel and to bless Israel. But Israel's worse than Israel realizes. And if you're one of those people who thinks that, that God delights in judging, you don't know much about God. That's His strange work. God's desire is to bless and to heal. And so his cry is, his call is, return to me because I have all this love for you. And you get this theme of God's desire to pour out mercy and man fleeing from it. Uh, Ron Dunn tells about the time he went to a gun store to buy his son a gun. His son decided he wanted to learn how to shoot a gun. So he went down there to buy his son a pistol. And he said he had to fill out all these farms before he could buy this pistol. And one of the questions on the farm was, are you a fugitive from justice? Now, how are you going to answer that? 
Yeah, I'm a fugitive from justice. I broke out of San Quentin and I need a gun to bump off a bank. I'm, I'm sure. And he said, I, I had this, I'm, I'm kind of got a mean streak in me, he said. He said, I, I had this overwhelming desire to write. No, I'm not a fugitive from justice, but I am a fugitive from mercy. Aren't we all? And God wants to pour out His blessing on us and bless us and heal us and save us and bring love into our life. We won't let Him. And so Hosea sang, as God's mouthpiece returned to me, but that's not easy. I tell you, it's a lot easier to get into the far country than it is to get out of it. And it's a whole lot easier to get out of fellowship with God than it is to get back into it. And so the question is, once you drift from God, once you get away from God, once you get out from under this blessing of God, how do you get back? I have the answer, I think, for you in three points and a poem. My poem goes with point two, however. Point one, there needs to be the recognition that God is the source of our affliction. Look at verse one again. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us he has wounded us. Now I need to say two things about God, the source of our affliction. The first is going to shock you, so don't turn me off until I have a time, a little bit of time to exegete this and explain it. First thing I need to tell you is, is that God becomes the enemy of the unrepentant. He is your enemy. Now that's somewhat shocking to think of God as our enemy. But James puts it like this. He says to love the world. And they saw all this stuff going on in their life. They're, they were literally bleeding from wounds, black and blue. And they looked around. And the initial response was to say, well, something I've done something wrong. There's a demon here. And God said, no, your enemy, I'm your enemy. I'm parenthetically in this election year. Everybody else is saying something political. America's greatest enemy, in my humble and accurate, America's greatest enemy, the communist Chinese, America's greatest enemy, of the book of Genesis, this nation decides we're going to build a tower, to one language, one religion, it was Israel's, it was ethics, we're going to build this tower and have one one world government power till they understood that they were they were facing some opposition there. Now who would have undermine it? They come to, they came to discover that it was God Himself who was burns, burns. If you're not rightly related, depending on your relationship to it. And God said, I He is our enemy. Unrepentant enemy. Unrepentant. I will heal them. I will fill them. Now why does He wound and tear us so He can heal us? I am hungry in the wilderness in order that I might feed them. Now they could bring them to the place that they would taste of His manna and they would never come to the place. If you never get hungry, you'll die. To a man not long ago, he said, I've lost 60 pounds. I said, well, I must have found it. I said, the doctor told me that if I didn't start eating, I was going to die from starvation. Makes us hungry, so we'll eat. Nobody likes pain. 
You know what it'd be like if you never felt pain that you don't like? That's where leprosy, in leprosy, your nerve endings die and they feel no pain. I've read where somebody dropped, a leper dropped something in the fire, reached down in the fire to get it, didn't even feel pain till his hand burned off. Frankly, I'm kind of glad that when I put my hand on a hot stove, something in my brain screams to my arm, move your arm, stupid, your hand's going to burn off. You know, pain is a gift nobody wants. You know how I know that there's bread in this world? God's given me a hunger for it. You know why I believe there's a heaven? Because I have a yearning to go there when I die. You know why I believe there is a God? Because somehow God has created me so that I have a desire for Him. I have a strong conviction that just before revival comes in this land, we're going to face the most destitute time we've ever known. Because God afflicts us so He can heal us. Second, not only must there be the recognition that God is the source of our affliction, there must be the repentance from sin in all of us. Now I want you to turn in your Bible to chapter 14. Let me read verse 1 with your observation there so you can see it. Chapter 14, verse 1, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Now just flip back to chapter 5, verse 15. I want to show you something. I will go away and return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face in their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. If you have a King James, it's you will seek me right early. Now, does that seem strange that God would say, I'm going to return to my place? Where is this place? Well, the normal reaction would be to say that that's heaven, you know, but the... God's place is with His people. That's His place. So He's not saying, I'm going to withdraw my presence. I'm going to, not going to, he's not saying, I'm going to withdraw myself because He's promised He'd never leave us or forsake us. Well, what is He saying? He's saying, I'm going to withdraw my blessing and I'm going to withhold my manifested presence until you seek me in repentance. Now, I need to say that again because I think I shot right past some of you. He's saying, I'm going to withhold my manifested presence until you repent. God's not going to withdraw from anyone. Shocking, isn't it? God's in hell. I'm sure that shocks you. You say, well, how do you come to that conclusion? Well, He's omnipresent. There is no place where God is not. The reason I believe He's in hell is because of this verse of Scripture, found in the sixth chapter of the Revelation, isn't it? It says, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, and the rich, and the strong, and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. What he's saying is that one of the greatest tortures of hell is that man has to look upon the face of a God they have offended. 
and whose law they have transgressed. And so God is not saying, I'm going to withdraw myself. He said, I'm going to withdraw my manifested presence. Jacob knew that. He woke up one night and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I know it not. So I've got to return. How am I going to do that? Well, he gives us the answer there in chapter 5, verse 15. He says the way to get back to God is acknowledge your guilt, your sin. It's time to stop playing games. Quit making excuses. Quit blaming others. Quit rationalizing. Admit you're a sinner. Admit the fact that you've sinned against God. I mean, you can blame anybody you want to, but the fact is it's you that needs prayer, needs help, as the old spiritualism has it. Ian McLaren has a story about a man by the name of Andrew Harris who was elected elder of a church in a little community in Scotland. Those communities are called Kirks, K-I-R-K-S. And he said it came time for a hearing of objections to, for Andrew Harris to be elder. And he said the moderator got up, called his name, Andrew Harris, are there any objections of him being, mo- being elder in this church? Nobody said a word. Everybody believed in him. little bit Andrew Harris stood. He said, ladies and gentlemen, there's a man in this city that I have deep envy, about which I have deep envy. And since I'm a true witness to the life of Andrew Harris, I object. He does not deserve to be elder in this church. And set back down. And Ian McLaren continues like this. Listen to this. Most of us are not so honest. We would never admit openly to this self in us that wants to strut, to the big eye that wants to be God to the man inside the coat and the contempt he holds for other people deep down in the hush and hidden places of the heart. He would never come right out and admit it. So we cover up and we wear a false face and we put on, as some animals do, a protective coloration. We, We try to make the thing seem admirable, even righteous, a deception which in itself is a part of the nature of... To him that knoweth to do good, doeth it not. To him it is sin. And so Marguerite Wilkinson puts it like this in verse. I never cut my neighbor's throat. My neighbor's purse I never stole. I never, I never spoiled his house or land. But God have mercy on my soul. For day and night I am haunted day and night by all the deeds I have not done. That unattempted loveliness, oh, costly valor, never won. Admit it. Our sin. And not only is there the admission of sin, he says, that in getting to God, one must seek Him, seek His face. Not seek His forgiveness, not seek His blessing, His face. Him. Somebody might say, well, Somebody does say, well, I'll never seek him. Yes, you will. God says, in essence, I promise you, I'll guarantee you 
that there'll come a day when you want me so badly, you will do anything to get me. Now I want you to turn to chapter 10. We're going to look at a parallel verse here. Chapter 10, verse 12. Does that sound right? High time? Yes. Let me, let me go back to, um, lost my place here. Time to seek the Lord, Hosea. High time, verse 12 of chapter 10. Though they bring up their children. Well, I am totally missed the boat. Where did I read that, Mark, in that first passage? High time to seek the Lord. Personal preparation. There's personal preparation. That means that there are things in our life that we need to do personally, get ready to seek the Lord. There must be painful cultivation. Break up the fallow ground. If you find that somewhere, that's where I am. <laughs> Break up the fallow ground. Anybody found it? Tell me where I am. 10-12. Hosea 10, 12. You know what I'm doing? I'm reading in chapter 9. <laughs> I knew I wasn't totally crazy. Would you bless your heart? If you can endure this, you can do anything. Go to, go to 10. So with a view to righteousness. There it is. So with a view to righteousness. If you've got a King James, it's so to yourself. Personal preparation. There's some things that some of us before we get back to God, I'm going to have to deal with personally. Look, so to yourselves with a view to righteousness. Wouldn't it be easy if I could just come to church and let God zap me and all of a sudden I'd be righteous? There's some personal preparation. Look at this. Break up your fallow ground. Fallow ground is that ground that grew up in thorns and thistles and weeds because it was neglected. That's painful, painful cultivation. All those things that I've neglected, I've, I, need a, I need to start doing. It may be getting into the Word. It may be developing prayer life. It may be getting back to church. I just neglect. It may be what I'm doing, my family not doing. Painful cultivation. And then, until he comes to reign righteousness, that is persistent supplication, which means that I'm going to stay on my knees until I get back to God. No more television, going, no more vacations, no more, no more anything until I get back to God. And I'm going to stay on this and I'm going to stay at this, I'm going to stay with this until I find Him again. Persistent supplication. That's how you get back to God. Repent from sin. One last thought. It's amazing when you lose your place how hot it gets in here. Promised result of relief from our labor. When Israel, chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a youth, I loved him. 
And out of Egypt I called my son. I'm thinking today of what a father, what fatherhood's about. Sending one off to college, last one, next week. Tough. It's a normal, it's this normal thing that a father teaches his child how to walk. Normal thing. I love being a father. Burping them and all that good stuff. He said, when Israel was a youth, I loved him. I taught him how to walk. Normal as it can be. He said, I took him in my arms, put him on my shoulder and burped him. Normal thing. Oh, I, I, I know what it means to be a father and all the experience of that. And what I'm seeing here is this God who, who, who loves Israel like, like father, does everything a father does. Then he shifts the metaphor in verse 4. He says, I led them with cards of a man and with bonds of love, and I became to them as one who lifts a yoke from their jaws, and I bit down and fed them. And all of a sudden it's not a father holding his child in his arms. It's this, this owner of a, of a beast, a burden, who is taking the yoke off and feeding now, now, do you see something um, goofy and something kind of out of place there? I do. Where's that yoke? Where's that yoke that's on his jaws? And, and, and you, you ever seen somebody plowing with, a, with an oxen? With oxen? Some of you are old enough to remember that. I won't call your name, embarrass you, but you can remember that. You've seen pictures of them, seen in movies. Where's the yoke on an oxen? Isn't it on the, isn't it on the oxen's neck? And shoulders? Of course it is. Well, what does, he, what does it mean the, the yoke is on their jaws? You know what he's doing? He's doing two things. He's showing how out of place sin is in Israel's life. It's as out of place as to put the yoke on the jaws. Sin doesn't belong in your life. Sin doesn't belong in the life of a believer, in the life of a Christian. That's no place for it. It's as out of place as yoke on the jaws. Second thing he's doing is he's telling us that until the yoke is removed, until the sin is gone, you're always going to have that gnawing hunger that's never satisfied. You can't eat with a yoke on your jaws, can you? You can't eat with a muzzle on your mouth, can you? So God is saying, let me tell you, you're always going to have this hunger and this need and this unfulfilled gnawing desire until you let me take the yoke off your jaws and feed you. And that idea is there is to bring that to your life that satisfies you. She woke up in the Newport Beach Marriott Luxury Hotel and she looked at this um, stationery on the table that was folded and she went over and she 
opened it up and read a letter she had written. It just started out like this, Dave, it's been fun. And Dave was this guy she'd met in a, in a physical fitness uh, place. And he seemed to offer to her all the things that she was missing in life. And so she ran off with him. She left her job. She left two small children and her husband. And she ran off with Dave two weeks before. She stared at that paper for a long, long time. She thought of her parents that must be so disappointed. She, thought of, she wondered about her children. Then she reached into her purse and she pulled out a gun and blew herself away. A little afternoon, the maid made the grisly discovery and the detective read the letter. And there was a sentence in the letter that just leaped out, the sentence longer human. The irony of this was, four levels below in the convention room, including a seminar on new life, the new age movement. Final gesture of, of this seminar, a final exercise, loud as they could, I am God, I am God, I am God. Body out of the building, they passed by these people who were shouting. The fact is, that we are neither. Psalm 8 says that we are created a little, are made like God with a little bit missing. To feel worthless and seek something else is what causes Hosea to write, Come, He will heal us. Let us return to the Lord will fulfill us. God, we acknowledge today, we admit that we have gone away from the God so that you can take the yoke, eat us with bread that will bring joy. And as we run from here to there, Lord, call us back of forgiveness. For I pray if there is one today who has never given himself to Christ, heart and life, to Jesus Christ, to be saved, to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's an acknowledge your need and come to Him. Or perhaps you need to return today. Or to join this church, I invite you to do it while we stand to sing.